0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Second and goal to Burkett. Burkett to the end zone. Hello,
1: Super Bowl. New England is heading back again for the third straight year.
2: Oh, good ball! good ball! Won the AFC Championship, but that's not our ultimate goal. We want to win the Super Bowl, and so uh, moving in, digging into film and uh, play study on them, and uh, just getting everything locked down before we head to Atlanta. Uh,
3: we have not talked at all. Uh, we'll talk on the football field when I'm uh, hopefully taking him down behind the line of
2: scrimmage.
3: Uh, me and Rex were super cordial. Uh, he was uh, obviously an all-star running back, so I didn't get to touch him too much. Uh, even though I was a vet, and uh, the way we had things set up, he was—we uh, were just kind of separated. But I mean, he was a super good dude, young kid at the time. Uh, we enjoyed being around each other.
1: And welcome here to this Super Bowl week edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. As Super Sunday is upon us, and uh, the streak of Husker players in the Super Bowl. Robin, is it now 25? Is that right? Yes, I believe so. 26. 26. Twenty six. Yeah, and, uh, and there are some discrepancies in there. Zaire Anderson was on, I, yeah. be- a, I believe, a practice squad mm-hmm. for one of those 26. And then Mike uh, Brown was on the IR the year the Bears made it. So th- those are – but it's still quite a streak. This weekend, Nebraska will have uh, two former Huskers in that game, and Domican and Sue uh, playing for the Rams – And then, obviously, Rex Burkhead playing for the New England Patriots. He scored the game-winning touchdown in Kansas City to send the Patriots to the Super Bowl. Then you've got Greg Zerloin, um, a Lincoln Pius graduate from right here in Lincoln, uh, kicking for the Rams. And then Zach Taylor, former Big 12 player of the year. In fact, Nebraska's last offensive Big 12 player or conference player of the year, uh, quarterbacks coach. Most likely, Robin soon to be named head coach mm-hmm. of the Cincinnati Bengals, right? They've, yeah, and no, that's it's
4: th- basically as soon as the Ram season's over, he's going to take over. That's that's the report.
1: Well, it's pretty. I mean, first of all, it tells me I'm getting old. Guys that I mm-hmm. covered and knew when they were young are <laughs> are playing in head Super Bowls in and the- head coaches in the NFL. Yeah. But um, yeah, Nate, I guess you could speak to that. I mean, you know, I mean, you picked up and and Sue at the airport. Yeah, I picked and- him up
3: from the airport when he was a recruit uh, coming in on his official visit. Same with Zach Taylor. I mean, I, I picked up Zach Taylor and his family uh, from the airport when they first, uh, you know, visited Nebraska. I took them. I spent basically spent on an unofficial. I mean, I, I was probably with them for eight hours, the very first time they ever toured Nebraska. <clears throat> Same with Rex Burkhead. So I mean, all these guys. It, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty cool uh, that you know before they were even Huskers when they were in, in high school or in junior college, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, you're able to, to get to know them and, and their their families and, and their whole stories and everything. And then they went on to have obviously successful careers at Nebraska and, and now uh, way past uh, Nebraska.
4: There's another Nebraska connection in this game, too. We didn't even mention Matt Longacre, uh, former Millard West Wildcat, um, is playing in the game for the Rams. So another tie back to the Northwest state. Missouri state guy. Yep, I think. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it's at least gives you some rooting interest in a game like this. I mean, I know that there's with the Patriots, you're either a Patriots fan or you can't stand them. Um, I'm in the can't stand them category and the Rams, <laughs> meh, you know, whatever. Like, I guess there's Sue. That's cool. But like, you know, there's really not a lot of that that does it for me. Uh, with them, especially the way they ditched St. Louis. I thought that was pretty shady, just to go be one of two teams in the same city. Uh, So I'm going to watch it because I'm an NFL junkie and I love the Super Bowl, but I will not be emotionally invested in this
1: one. I mean, the Rams, though, when you just look at their talent and what they have, they they have better talent, I think, across the board than the Patriots, but the Patriots have the brain of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. So it's an intriguing matchup Mm -hmm. to me. Um, But I know how Sue is in these big games. He's going to – you know guys like Sue are going to ride. – we've seen him on the championship stage at Nebraska against Texas years
4: ago. I mean, this is the biggest game he's played in
1: maybe – since the Big 12 championship game.
4: We were talking about this off air, too, during the Super Bowl media day. Uh, I think it was some dude from Barstool or whatever uh, asked him, you know, he's like, hey, Dominican it's well known that you're the dirtiest player in the NFL, and I'm just going to tell you right now, if you do anything cheap to Tom Brady, we're going to have to come find you in the parking lot. And Sue just looks at him, smiles, and says... Make sure you have a good day. So, you know <laughs> he's, dialed in. I, he's he's been through this before, and you know he's 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 locked in. And you know, you, you mentioned in the open, uh, they're asking him about Rex Burkhead. He played it down, and um, you know was able to have some fun with it. So, um, yeah, I mean, either way, Nebraska's going to have a. Super Bowl champion who played a vital role in his team's success, so that I, that's cool. That gives you something to watch. Let me ask you this: Do you guys think Andamich and Sue
1: has a chance to be an NFL Hall of Famer? Is he on the border right now? I mean, mm. if he if if they win this game, for example, and he plays really really well. And piles it up with a couple more years. Is he NFL Hall of Fame level, know. or just on the border?
4: He just doesn't have the numbers. The popularity too is going to hurt him. And the yeah, voting. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Does, he does, has that does, stigma uh, to him. <coughs> yeah, the popularity. Does the media I feel vote like on that?
3: his his career in in Miami really hurt him?
4: He went for the money versus playing for <clears throat> yeah. like, a good team. He was on pace with Detroit, and he was putting up numbers. Yeah. That was the thing. And then he went to Miami, got double teamed on every possession and basically just didn't do anything. And then he kind of got a rep for taking plays off, uh, and things just really ended poorly there. And so he's he's kind of got his career rejuvenated. Uh, playing, I mean, playing next to Aaron Donald helps. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but that, yeah, that uh, he's capitalized on the opportunity, and he's got a chance to get that elusive Super Bowl ring that puts you at least in the conversation. Uh, when you're a champion, all of a sudden, your resume looks a lot hey, more
1: glistening yeah we were asked in our chat this week Nate and I, I thought about this more like should Nebraska look at maybe retiring the number 93 someday and I don't think you do it immediately I mean Bob Brown Nebraska wait I mean they only had one number retired for many many years Tom Novak mm-hmm. yep. he's the only four-time all-conference player in history in the program uh, they w- waited Steve Peterson did this controversially uh, no surprise Steve Peterson to retire the <laughs> second number Bob Brown but Peterson's theory on that was he's the first true NFL Hall of Famer and college football Hall of Famer in the Mm -hmm. program's history. Now, Will Shields is the same as well. So I think it's one of those things. If you retired. That's the
4: thing you're opening the door. If you retire
1: Sue's physical number someday, which is a big if, then you'd almost have to do Shields as well. And,
4: and you could make the case for a lot of other dudes that have come through the program that uh, you know won championships here uh, and you know did some pretty special things both at the collegiate and but NFL. not NFL
1: Hall of Fame level though. Yeah, Tinglehoff is NFL Hall of Fame yeah. too, yeah.
4: <clears throat> but still had pretty good professional careers. So I mean, you were opening the door for a lot of controversy there, and it's probably a reason why there's only two dudes that have had their physical number retired. And Bob Brown,
1: it was—I mean, there was some controversy, but if you study Bob Brown, he was six-five like 260 270 playing middle linebacker mm-hmm. in the 60s. In an
4: era where dudes were not that big. So I mean, he was a freak.
1: He was one of the he was the first African American player to ever play against Auburn mm. in in the Orange Bowl.
4: Yeah. You did a whole chapter on him yeah. in the book. It right? was
1: pretty remarkable when you read back um and he had to stay like in a different hotel, different like quarters of, you know, that wasn't allowed to stay in the team hotel in mm-hmm. Miami and he took some Auburn linemen and drove them down the field like 50 yards. Uh, but yeah, he. You know, I, I think when you look back at it, obviously first NFL Hall of Famer, I think in the program's history was Bob Brown, mm-hmm. um, so he deserved it. But yeah, Sue. If he continues to play well, I think maybe the discussion could go that way. But Will Shields, I think you'd have to put in that conversation, too. I,
4: I would probably make a stronger case for Will Shields. I mean, I mean that dude was uh, an unbelievable player at the college level. And then to do what he did for so long in the NFL. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was an elite player for over a decade. Uh, so, I mean, Sue's not there yet, in my mind.
3: But at the same time, Sue is kind of a generational type of defensive player. I mean... There aren't very many former Huskers that racked up as many individual accolades as mm-hmm, he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, winning not only just the Lombardi. I mean, what? I mean, how many? He won. He he he, he won every a, single major award. Sweep. Outland, Lombardi. He's a Heisman Trophy candidate. And, yeah. Uh, I think he
1: finished the highest of any defensive player, maybe other than Charles Woodson in the Heisman. Mm-hmm, Charles yeah. Woodson um, won it as yeah. a. Was he a defensive back, yeah, punt r- returner, receiver? He did I mean, he everything.
4: played some receiver, but he was he was a defensive back. He yeah. went in as a defensive back. So, so I mean,
3: in that regard, he's pretty unique in Nebraska history mm-hmm. as far as the when you compare him with all the other major award winners. I mean, it, it's a it's a conversation to have. That's that's for sure. I mean, I don't think anyone can deny that. Sure. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Who do you guys got? I I'm, I'm going Rams.
4: Yeah, I think like you said, the Rams. I think have the more talented team. But I mean, the Patriots are the Patriots. They're a three-point favorite for a reason right now, and it's just hard to dismiss when they got an—they got their little motivation about, you know, they're too old, washed up, whatever, and that's been kind of their calling card. Uh, the inexperience factor on the Rams side—I just—it's hard for me to pick. Well, they'd be able to run them.
1: the ball though on the on the front. I mean, the, the Rams—I think can. yeah,
4: I think they can.
1: I think the Rams, though, with Sue and Donald, are going to make it pretty tough to run the ball.
4: Sure, I mean, but their defense is kind of. I mean, given the level of star power they have on that, they underperformed for a good yeah, portion of the up year. Some points. Yeah, so I don't know. I think that the talent, like I said, the talent is in the Rams' favor, but all the other X factors, I think, go with Patriots. Yeah, <clears throat> I'd
3: like to see the Rams win, but I'm I'm probably yeah, I will be go rooting with... for the Rams, no yeah. question about it. I'm probably going to go with the Patriots. I think Belichick and Brady factor. It's just too much to overcome. Mm-hmm. For me, when you look at it, I, I think Belichick and Brady kind of trump uh, Goff and, and McVay.
4: Brady's not done, though, right? I mean, this is not. Zero I mean, percent chance he retires after this season. He's already said that. He has publicly said that in an interview. Well, so why would you? You know? Yeah, I mean, he's still I one of the best quarterbacks that. in the game, and he's going to play for he is another winning the Arrowhead so.
1: Stadium and won an AFC title game against, you know, the up-and-coming yeah, he superstar. Yeah, he
4: beat the two best teams in the AFC back-to-back weeks. Yeah, it's.
1: You know, he's he's not slowing down anytime soon if you're a Chiefs Mm -hmm. fan. But all right, when we come back, we are going to shift over to Nebraska basketball. It's been a rough week. Isaac Copeland out for the year with a torn ACL. Nebraska loses again on Tuesday night to Wisconsin. They go on the road to Illinois. We'll discuss that with Robin Wachett next. You're listening here to
0: the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: It was different. It was really different. You know, I mean, Cope's been a starter every game. And so, you know, you're running lineups out there and you're like, OK, <laughs> yeah, uh, this will be interesting. And, and I thought, you know, like, Brady's just got to play his way in. We saw Brady play against very good competition. Creighton, Seaton Hall do very good things. And now he's a little bit of a shadow with that. You just got to, you know, get him back out there, get his feet under him. And uh, because you know there were some things that he just missed on again. That first half, I think we had two threes, one with Trice where he's just not up, and the other one with uh, Reavers on a pick-and-pop. And, pop, uh, and uh, uh, just a few little things, right, here and there. And uh, we didn't – we just didn't uh, – That that's the discovery process of those things. But you have to go through that for those guys to gain the confidence.
1: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Walshett talking Nebraska basketball. The Huskers lost 62-51 to Tuesday night to Wisconsin, uh, 24th-ranked Wisconsin. And the Huskers, once again, a home favorite for the second game in a row uh, despite the situation they're in without Isaac Copeland, uh, but lose the game. Now they're on the road Saturday, Robin, at Illinois. But let's delve into this Wisconsin game. You heard Tim Miles um, discussing life without Isaac Copeland. And, you know, just to – the outsider they don't i don't think they realize how big of a loss this is but there's somebody like you that's around this team every day this is almost as indispensable of a player on the roster as any guy right now
4: i would put him right up there with glenn watson as one of the two guys nebraska could not afford to lose this year i mean i think even losing james palmer you can overcome that um, because of what those two guys bring in so many different ways. Isaac Copeland was your second leading scorer, second leading rebounder, second best shot blocker, one of your best three-point shooters, and more importantly than anything, he was the one guy who was emerging as that vocal leader this team has been needing all season long. Uh, and so you know, just as when he's starting to kind of step to the forefront in that role, he's lost for the season. So, I mean, it's just been one blow after another for this team to the point now where you wonder if there's any possible chance of them recovering and salvaging what was such an impressive start to the year. And right now, I don't think anybody can feel any bit confident right now. I mean, just with the way they've been playing, it's not just the fact that they're losing games. They look worse and worse every time they step on the floor. Uh, and last night, or uh, sorry, Tuesday night was uh, as bad as it gets. I mean, they shot 28% from the field. That is their worst shooting percentage of the season, their worst shooting percentage in 45 games. And they made just 17 field goals. That's terrible. And you look at it, it's not even the fact that they're just missing shots. They're missing at the rim. They were 9 for 27 on dunks and layups. Dunks and layups. And so coaching is what it is. Maybe they're not drawing up plays, whatever it is. But they got to the rim 27 times, and they couldn't even And make it seemed like when
1: Roby it. went to the rim, it's like, dude, why aren't you doing this more? Yeah. Like, he had so many nice looks he at the rim.
4: Well. He, he played well. I mean, he led the team with 18 points, had nine rebounds, three assists. So, I mean, Roby, I mean, if there was a silver lining – uh, he seemed to step up with the absence of Isaac Copeland and you know looked pretty good. Like That's the type of guy they need him to be the rest of the year. The problem was no one else showed up. I mean, James Palmer, yeah, he had 14 points, but he did it on a terrible shooting percentage. And Glenn Watson scored a season-low 5 points on 2 of 10 shooting. And those two were a combined 1 for 12 from 3-point range. I mean, that's It's terrible. I mean, and, and on top of that, they went 60% from the free-throw line. And so if they make half of their dunks and layups... Half of their shoot, you know, anywhere towards their season average, which is about 75% from the free throw line, they probably win that game. And so, yeah, there was a lot of factors. A lot of front end misses too. Yeah, and just, just, just bad confidence plays that's what it comes down to for me is this team just has no confidence they were in the
1: bonus in the second half with like oh, about 10 or 11 minutes remaining mm-hmm. i mean so they had great opportunities to go to the And that's free... how
4: you beat wisconsin you beat them at the free throw line there, wisconsin is not a good free throw shooting team uh hap is one of the worst free throw shooters in all of college basketball and nebraska's generally pretty good when they get there Ethan like,
1: Hap was 0-3 they were 5-11 of 11. nebraska was 13-20 to 20, but a lot of those were cheap ones late mm-hmm. when the pressure was kind of already off nebraska mm-hmm. when the pressure was on nebraska and by the way if i would have told you this about a week ago 10 days ago that against Wisconsin, Thorby and Arsic play 17 minutes, Brady Hyman plays 11 minutes, and Tanner Borkhart plays 15 minutes. What would your response
4: been? Yeah, I'd say there's probably some serious issues. Either they're up big <laughs> and winning convincingly, or something terrible has happened, mm-hmm. and it was definitely something what?
1: terrible. What? So Thorby and Narson. Thorby and Arsic. I remember I, can still, I still have in my head Matt Davison <laughs> having Kent Pavelka repeat the name like 10 times on the yep, radio broadcast yep. last year. But Thorby and Arsic. Um, what were his previous high minutes before last night or uh, before t- Tuesday night?
4: He had played 17 minutes in a game in, like, junk time. Uh, but not legit. Yeah. Like, not it, a legit. It was, like, against, like, Southwest Minnesota State. So, I mean, it was like, so what? But in conference play, he had played a grand total of – oh, I wrote that in my story. Anyway, it was, like, a handful of minutes. I think he played, like, 64 minutes all season, and he played – what do you say, 15? 17. 17. So, I mean – and, there you go. <laughs>
1: okay, and not to—I don't want to knock him because he played his butt off. He had ten rebounds. 10 boards.
4: He was the—he was one of the only guys hustling on the boards, along and with Tanner.
1: His body positioning and timing on rebounding was as good as anybody they've had all year. Like yeah. there was an actual desire for him to get rebounds mm-hmm. where before you have not seen that. And I do think the crowd appreciated the way that team fought. I mean, they got a three-point lead. That place is ready to blow
4: up. So, if yeah. Thomas
1: Allen missed the three, that would have put him up six. Right. Is that right? Right. Wide yeah. open three. Yep. If they go up six. Who knows?
4: I know. That was a big miss. And so, yeah, there's I mean, really nothing you can feel overly good about or good at all about where Nebraska is right now. But when they were down twenty-three to nine to start the game, and I just thought the game was over. I mean, with their body language and with the crowd being what it was and just their execution, it looked like they had given up completely. Well, what did they do? They responded with a twenty-three to nine run of their own to eventually take the lead, and they led three times in the second half. Yeah, they couldn't finish the job cuz Brad Davison scored 10 points in a row and Wisconsin went on a 16 to 4 They brought run. in those
1: zone. You see some of those guys Wisconsin brings in, you're like those guys aren't in for their dunks and their athletic ability. Exactly. They're in to bust the zone. Exactly. And and they were bust. Nebraska's running some We talked about this. They're running some 2-3.
4: Yeah, we hadn't seen hardly any maybe if at all, 2-3 Nebraska- zone. When's the yeah.
1: last Nebraska's run true 2-3 zone? Yeah. I mean, since you've covered not the not team. Not since Miles has been here. He I didn't. mean, even Sadler, he wasn't a zone guy.
4: Miles never wanted to run zone until he had to and then he kind of consented on the 1-3-1. One, one. So, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, the reason they're playing so much zone is because they're so limited with they can't what guard. they have. I mean, when you have Thor and Tanner and Brady Hyman out there, You can't have them in man-to-man. They'll get destroyed. And so they ran the zone. They doubled Hap every time he touched the ball, and that game plan worked to perfection. Yeah, uh, Hap had good rebounding numbers, but he had 10 points. If you hold Ethan Hap, who's the third-leading scorer in the Big Ten, averaging over 18 points a game to almost half of his season average, you feel pretty good about your chances to win. The problem was, I think, like, five or six other badgers had at least eight points in that game and well four guys combined for eight three-pointers yeah and not only did they hit those three-pointers they came at the most critical times every time nebraska took the lead in the second half wisconsin answered they had a dude who made two three-pointers all season um that davis kid davis the fourth uh, and he hits a three to tie the game and then scores another bucket to put wisconsin up and wisconsin that's when they went on that 16 to 4 run so it's kind of the story of the season for Nebraska. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And now they, they're they in a serious crisis right now where they are up against it. I mean, it had to happen uh, against Wisconsin. It had to happen against Rutgers. And it isn't happening. And like I said, they're getting worse and worse uh, as the season goes on.
1: At Illinois, Saturday, one fifteen. That's a Big Ten network game. And then they're home for a 6 o'clock game against Maryland. Nebraska kind of because they're playing a good East Coast team. The BTN put the game earlier, so it's going to be a little tougher for folks to probably Mm -hmm. get down to that game. It'll be very interesting. The crowds have still been good. I mean, there were nearly 12,000 scanned tickets for the game against Wisconsin. I know all the tickets are sold, but people are still showing up. They still want to see this team play well. Unfortunately, they've got a lot to get sorted out here, and they're in the toughest conference in college basketball. When we come back, uh, we are going to bring in Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler. We'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Pleased to bring I in Husker Online Collins intern Mike Wheeler as we're taking our questions here in the mailbag. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. Five locations in Omaha, one in Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's um, for your Super Bowl party needs. Get some wings to go. Go and watch the game. Um, it is your place to go. Any one of those five Omaha locations or the one here right in South Lincoln, that's Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. But it's time for the mailbag, Mike. What do you have this week to start
2: us out with? All right, well, we'll start here uh, in recruiting. Uh, we're actually a little under a, way, a week away from uh, National Signing Day on February 6th. Uh, Nate, I know you said in the chat uh, uh, just a couple of days ago that you know a lot of this is going to be fluid this next week. So who are the names that uh, are going to be popping up here in the next week or so?
3: Well, I think the main names right now are Stephen Parker, the outside linebacker from Dallas. Um, You know, you've got Damarian Houston, the wide receiver from Oklahoma City. And then, you know, beyond those guys, then I think it's kind of a roll of the dice. You know, does John Bivens, the running back out of Ohio, get the green light to commit? Um, You know, could there be, uh, you know, what, what happens with Sony Fanua? The the junior college outside linebacker, um, you know, and players like that. But I, I think for the most part, those are probably the the main the four main names to kind of know heading into uh, to signing. Well, day. Nate,
1: I'm looking at the list of all the guys that have visited Nebraska over the course of this year. They are the only four names not committed anywhere.
3: Well, Jamel Starks and um, and uh, Tavian Mayo haven't committed either. But but those guys, the, the two the two DBs out of Georgia. Uh, they're not really they're I, not even being visited by Nebraska. I, Nebraska, I think has been talking with them, but I, they, they both appear to be long shots at this point.
1: What do you got next, Mike?
2: Uh, all right here. so uh, Bob Welton was actually uh, one of the first hires that Frost made when he was here um, in a recruiting role. And now that he's gone, do you see uh, the staff maybe revisiting that open position here anytime soon? Well, they,
1: they've kind of just reshuffled the roles on the staff. Um, I mean, Trent Mossbrooker... Really moved into Welton's role. And then you've got Sean Dillon and Ryan Callahan. So instead of, I think, giving that position to just one guy, um, I almost felt like Nate, they took, when they hired Ron Brown, they kind of allocated, I mean, because Bob Welton's position, I think, was $210,000. He was making good money. I mean, it was high level as far as on on, like the administration staff making. And uh, Ron Brown, I think, got a pretty good piece of that. And I think some of the other money then got kicked. Maybe over to a guy like Mossbroker who got a nice promotion.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's, that's it's fair to say that's what happened. And, and I don't see them, you know, adding to that staff. I, I think if there is an addition, it's going to come as more of a, of a graphic designer, multimedia, you know, a social media, uh, you know, that, that type of role where uh, really ever since Nebraska lost Kelly Mosier, they've, they've kind of been missing that person, um, you know, and, and, you, and it kind of shows right now. You're, you're seeing all these schools putting out these graphics and, and recruiting content and, and whatnot on social media. And I think that, uh, you know, it's not out of line to say that Nebraska is kind of behind the behind the, the curve there with when you compare them against a lot of other schools.
1: Yeah, there was a website, you know, an analytics-based kind of deal that ranks social media accounts based on their posts, their activity, their engagements, and they did Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for all of college football, and there was a poll for each one. I don't think Nebraska was in the top 25 – for any of them right now, um, as far as like being recognized for their work and then being judged off engagements and and things like that, so you're right, and I, I think they have stepped off in that department as far and that
3: they're that, looking for somebody to fill that role right now. There's, I mean, there's an open a job opening uh, for that role. I don't know when it will be filled, but I know they're they're looking for a creative you know, multimedia, you know, social media. Person. And
1: Kel- Kelly was so good at what he did. Yeah. I mean, he's down the road now at Huddle and, you know, he was recognized as one of the best, if not the best in the
2: country. Yeah. Yeah.
3: He was, yeah, he was one of the, the leaders in the country. So uh, losing Kelly Mosier was uh, was a big hit to Nebraska's social media and creative department.
2: All right. Now we'll uh, switch over to basketball here. I'll kind of combine the two questions. Uh, we got to see kind of a preview of how this team is going to look without Copeland now. So how do they finish the season after uh, losing Copeland? And if they get to maybe 18 or 19 wins, is that going to get them uh, into the tournament?
4: Well, the good the good news is they still have a fairly decent uh, resume that they were able to put together in non-conference play. Obviously, Big Ten schedule has left much to be desired. But uh, with the Big Ten being what it is, there are opportunities now. How do you feel about their chances in those opportunities? Right now, I don't feel very good. Um, this team... 8-12
1: uh, and 12 maybe gets you in the discussion?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, that is like as low as you possibly nine and 11 you're maybe in. And you still have, I mean, <laughs> you still have games against Maryland, Purdue, Purdue, Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa. And so, I mean, it's not going to be an easy road, especially when you've already lost to Rutgers. You know, you've already lost to an Ohio State team in a, beat, in a winnable game. You know, you've given up... So many chances already that would have made life significantly easier for you right now. So I I don't know. I mean, I think eight and 12 is probably optimistic uh, if they finish out that way. And if they can do that, I think that, yes, they will have a chance to get in. It may be a situation where in the, they're in the bubble going into the uh, Big Ten tournament and they might have to win a game there. Uh, if they can do that, then I think that they might be able to sneak in just because of the credit people are giving the Big Ten this year. So unlike last year, the strength of the conference might actually work in their favor as opposed to keeping them out the way it does.
1: Well, and, and you got to look at this too, Robin. The Pac-12 maybe one or two bids. The SEC, other than the top teams, is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the Big East is not quite as good as it has been. So between the ACC and the Big Ten. I mean, they're going to possibly take 18, 19 bids between those two leagues. And so if the
4: Big Ten can get, I mean, I think eight is probably a safe assumption. Um, nine, I think, is. Is Nebraska in the top eight right now? No. Uh, but if they can get nine teams in, um, you know, depending on what those other power conferences, what happens with uh, the the auto bids with some of the conference tournaments at the mid-major level, uh then that might open up a window or two for Nebraska to sneak in. But right now, they have so much work to do that it's hard to even project uh, them being in that position.
2: All right, now uh, we'll kind of switch gears back to the football team. Uh, Which players are you guys hearing uh, are kind of going through, and uh, they use the word dominating the Duvall workouts right now, and uh, is the attitude better here uh, than it was in 2018?
1: I mean, uh, it's kind of one of those things you don't hear a lot right now. It's just kind of put your head down and grind. There's not even really a lot of videos of guys getting after it, um, but I, I just think year two of a lifting program, you are going to see gains. I think, you know, the veteran linemen like Carlos and Khalil Davis and you know Ben Stilley and some of these types of linemen in the program that are heavy lifters are setting the tone. I know a lot of the younger uh, early enrollee guys. Um, have been pretty eye-opened by just how strong some of these guys are. You know, when they walk in the weight room and see a guy squatting 600 pounds or whatever's on the bar, um, there's there's a lot of, like, younger players that are like, holy cow, I got a ways to go to get to this
4: level. Now, one of the basketball games recently, I saw Ben Stille there, and that dude looks like... A monster. So he was already one of those guys that made huge gains last year, and that has not slowed down one bit this offseason, clearly. Um, Cam Juergens is in the same boat, too. Uh, I mean, that dude looks like an offensive lineman now. Uh, so uh, you're feeling pretty good about that transition. Uh, as far as the social media goes, um, they've been posting a lot of pictures of Muhammad Barry, and he looks like he's getting after it and so he is definitely taking advantage of his hashtag money season
3: yeah i think a guy like maurice washington looks like he's made some gains you know um and i really i would point to all those younger guys you're gonna see a big jump uh from from those guys, especially a guy like Maurice, who showed up right before yeah, fall camp. That's an interesting one. So uh, you know, he's one that I'm really interested in seeing. Uh, I think Caleb Tanner is a guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing in spring ball too, to see just what kind of what kind of uh, you know jump his body makes over over the fall and, and winter with Duval.
1: We got time for one last question, Mike. What do you have?
2: All right. So just out of pure curiosity, for you guys, uh, if you could go have a beer with one former Nebraska player or coach, who would it be?
1: Who, former? I'll, I'll probably lean on the coach side just because they have more stories and um, more things to say. As I think about that more and more, I'm just trying to. <laughs> that's a tough question. Uh, well, there's a lot of characters I've met.
4: The easy one. I mean, is it living or or deceased? Or De- yeah, Devaney. Yeah, Bob Devaney. Bob all Devaney. day, every day. I mean, Bob Devaney, sure. <laughs> Milt
3: per would be like my top two.
4: Yeah, I mean, Devaney's is clear, but I, you know, I think. Danny Nee would probably have some fun stories, and if nothing else, he would uh, have enough colorful language to keep you entertained.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say Devani is without a doubt the guy. Just, just for you know all the things you've heard about him and his era, and, and kind of the, the stories he knows, but. You know, yeah. Even a guy like like Jack Pierce, Nate, a guy. Yeah, you, Jack Pierce. Uh, he, he he knows <laughs> he knows where, where a lot of the bodies are buried, quote unquote. I mean, he's got some pretty good stories. Um, that Plus, you, he's really he's a damn good story storyteller. <laughs> I mean, uh,
3: he, he's made a living, uh, you know, doing that, uh, talking and, and being, uh, being just a, a character. So, uh, yeah, I mean, th- he's one. Uh, you know. My favorite that I would ever had a chance to do that with is is by far in a way Milt Teniper I mean, he was he was unbelievable, and Dan Young was pretty good too. Those guys could tell stories like you wouldn't believe. So Jay
1: Norvell was a fun guy. To, Jay
3: Jay was great. Um,
1: Tim yeah. Beck, if you got him alone and had a beer or talk, I mean, I spent some time at the Big Red Breakfast hotels, and we'd have. A, I mean, he was an interesting guy to you know because he coached with a lot of people in his yeah, career.
3: Yep, he's been around uh, for a very very long time. Uh, John Blake didn't really drink, but he, he was always fun to, to hang around and, and have him tell stories, too, about uh, back in the day with Oklahoma and, and with the Dallas Cowboys especially. He's got a ton of stories from from the – I mean, there's some crazy, crazy stories that he has told me about – um, you know, about the Dallas Cowboys days back in, you know, Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, <laughs> all all that whole crew. So You know,
1: I, if I could go back, Jerry Crabtree told me this story years ago. He was working in Oklahoma camp when Bob Stoops first got there, and he said, I was sitting at a table drinking a beer, listening to Bob Stoops, Mike Stoops, Brent Venables. Um, you had Mike Leach. You had uh, Mangino, all those guys on one staff, just sitting there listening to those guys Man. go back and forth. That Crazy. would have been an interesting time.
4: Yeah. So there's been some good ones over the years, but, I mean, I don't think it gets the any Bob better father. Any than the Bobfather. Yeah, father. <laughs> I
3: think you, that's where it starts.
1: <laughs> now, Danny Nee used to do his coach's radio show with Jim Rose back in the day, and he'd have a six-pack yep. on the air. Yep. And, and Bar- the, the original the got Bar- better Bar- and stuff. better with every segment. <laughs> I always like when you listen to those podcasts. I mean, you hear the beers go. We That's why we use twist-offs in here.
4: Yeah, Davani used to go to Barry's after the game or whatever, and, yeah have a few entertain him and switzer would hold court mike babcock the the husker historian has some pretty good davanti stories oh i bet
1: well we come back we're going to shift over to recruiting uh we're going to talk about what's left and kind of nate's thoughts on those things and then the junior day coming up for nebraska that's all next you're listening to the husker online show
0: you're listening to the husker online show your authority on nebraska athletics and welcome back
1: here to the Hans Line Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, talking some recruiting now. And my God, Nate, this has been the quietest January I can ever remember in recruiting in my close to 20 years covering recruiting. And a lot of it's the new signing day. We didn't really get a fully experience it last year because of the coaching change, but we are experiencing it this year. Nebraska has not gotten a commit since the first signing day on December 19th and, obviously, they're going to get probably at least one or two more, maybe three. Uh, but what are your thoughts just on how quiet the last month-plus has been?
3: Well, they publicly added Noah Pola Gates this month. So, I mean, technically they got one, but – but He had signed he in December 19th. Yeah, he had signed in December. So, uh, yeah, he might be kind of splitting hairs there. But, yeah, it's been completely quiet. Um, it, I mean, as quiet as it ever has been before. And it has everything to do with the early signing period. Uh, I know I guarantee you the coaches love this first and foremost. They're not babysitting their current commits or their longtime commits um, and and trying to, you know, trying to keep them happy, trying to keep the poachers away uh, because this is the time of year, especially, you know, the last week or so leading up to signing day where, I mean, the vultures would really come out and, and people would be coming after your guys, trying to get them to trying to entice them with one last visit, you know, and or whatever. So, um, you know, the, to have everybody pretty much all the way in the boat, signed, sealed, delivered is, is got to be such a relief for those guys. But, uh, but you're right. It's been very quiet. I, I think Nebraska really liked what they had coming out of the december signing day and so whatever they added in january leading up to signing day was going to be pretty much all gravy kind of uh you know the cherries on top so to speak so um you know, I, I I talked with some people, and they're like, are you worried? They haven't added anybody? Well, they're pretty you much know? full. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I mean
1: they, they just got a couple spots left, exactly. and
3: they're being very selective. And you know what? That's the right way to play it because they are in such a great position for 2020, and we'll talk about that a little later. But uh, next year's recruiting class, as good as this one is, right, and right now it's ranked number 13 in the country, next year has a chance to be even better. And so you don't want to, to bring people in and make some reaches – and, and just take a guy for the sake of taking a guy late in the game only to recruit over him or, or to have one less spot to give next year. So I think they're, the, they're playing it the right way. Um, and they, they, they are in on some guys here that they, they could add and, and it would only bolster what's already a really nice class. You
1: know, there's been some national discussion, Nate, about the early signing day with coaching changes. Um, you know, the Cliff Kingsbury situation where he was there and left and, you know, Brew Brew McCoy uh, decommitted, and now he's going to uh, Texas um, in some situations like that, that this early signing day is not good. I I disagree. I mean, I think you're talking about so few kids that this situation affects, but obviously it gets a lot of headlines and a lot of noise. But I think the vast majority, 97 98% of guys – really like this that they don't have to worry about entertaining visitors and coaches the entire month of January.
3: Well yeah I mean it's it's a relief for everybody involved not just the coaches but also for the kids you're not having a, a ton of schools come by your school pulling you out of class every single day you're not having a ton of coaches come by your home at night and, um, you know, and you're not worried about losing a spot with this team because they're filling up and a coach is calling you to, to kind of put pressure on you to make a decision and you're not ready yet. And I mean, there's, there's a lot to deal with. Um, you know, and, and before you even get into all the, the constant phone calls and texting and direct messaging, I mean, uh, you know, if you're a big-time recruit, you're, your time is very, very limited because you're getting pulled in about a 1,000 directions. So I think it's, it is a relief for everybody. But there are going to always be kids that are affected negatively uh, by it, and, and that's what the coaching changes. You know, the coaching carousel always seems to – to really kind of ramp up uh, right around, you know, the month of December. And so – And there's going
1: to be that Monday after signing day. Yep. There's going to be – a. I, I still it's, remember years ago, we were driving on the in-state tour, I think going to Norfolk or something, and Charlton Warren yep. left on – Opening Monday, it's like
3: it's like that black. What is it? They call it Black, black Friday, Black Monday in the NFL when all the coaches get fired. Well, that's yeah, it's kind of how it is after Signing Day too. That's when all the the coaching changes officially get announced, where other uh, other guys are, are are either getting let go or they're leaving to take a new job or, or whatever. And you can
1: figure it out if a coach is not on the road for a school. Yeah. That's how you figure it out, yeah, and it's pretty easy. Not every media base really tracks that, but in a place like Nebraska, there was that one year where you didn't have. Carl Pelini or Marvin Sanders or Ted Gilmore. Or w- I mean, some of those guys just weren't on the road. Yeah, they so weren't, you, you knew that they were gone at yeah, that you point. You knew
3: changes were coming. So, um, But yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, um, you have to look at, at everyone's situation and then, you know, and, and kind of say, okay, well, if. You know if there was a, a severe coaching change or something um, you know you can make some exceptions you know Tavian Mayo for example the DB out of Georgia that, that visited Nebraska during the season he took an official visit to West Virginia at the beginning of December and then all of a sudden Dana Holgerson leaves and goes to Houston well uh, and then West Virginia hires a new coach he wanted to go Take another official visit with a new coach because that staff at West Virginia was recruiting him. So the NCAA granted him a waiver to take two official visits to the same school. So he he visited West Virginia twice. Got a
1: couple of steak dinners out of yep,
3: it. Yep. Got a, yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Right there, and um, you know at the at the same school. So uh, and he's coincidentally he's you know. Leaning that direction, going to West Virginia, but uh, but yeah, I think you have to look at it case by case, and and if it makes sense to grant a waiver uh, for for an extra official visit or or whatever, or to let somebody out of a letter of intent that they've signed, uh, then I think you need to do that.
1: It's very now, Nate. You look at what's left, um, and and you know, really, there's about four targets, known targets on the board. Um, Eugene Sante was a guy, did, did we ever confirm, did they try to go out there and, and at so th- least...
3: They were they were by his home uh, this, this past week, the last brother week. Brother of Larry Asante, yep, brother. outside linebacker. Yep, uh, well, he's a, he's a, probably an inside guy. Uh, he could probably play either. Uh, he he's, doesn't quite fit the mold of what they're looking for as an outside linebacker, but he's really good. Um, and, and it looks like he's still going to be going to North Carolina this weekend. He does have one more official visit. That will be his fourth official visit to North Carolina. So the thought was that maybe Nebraska might try to get him up you know, midweek, but it doesn't, doesn't look like that's happening.
1: So you look at what's left. I mean, Damari in Houston seems like the most likely guy right now probably. Nate, um, would you agree to, to commit to the Big Red?
3: Yeah, so the, the uh, former Texas wide receiver committed out of Oklahoma City – um, you know he was supposed to, he, he visited Nebraska and that trip went extremely well he, he had an in-home visit with uh, Troy Walters and Scott Frost and and I, and I think Ryan Held was there as well um, you know he canceled a trip to Penn State and then he was supposed to be taking a trip to uh, Colorado this weekend and he has since canceled that trip too so um, I think that's a very good sign for Nebraska. All signs are all kind of indications are pointing that uh, that Nebraska is going to get him. Now he's not the big-bodied guy that that they were kind of hoping to get, like a Charles Njoku, who ended up going to UCLA. But he's he fits the offense because he can flat-out run. He's a legit four-four, you know, maybe even sub-four-four guy. His verifiable track times, he can fly, and so uh, in that regard, he fits the offense extremely well. True or
1: false, the four fastest guys in this recruiting class, would win the four by one in Nebraska with ease.
3: I mean, it would be, it would be, it'd be a heck of a, a heck of a race. Yeah, uh, I,
1: I mean, there's three or four guys. There's how many? There's several guys are sub ten eight, right? In this class. Yeah, or, yeah. There's so, probably
3: four or five guys that are all sub ten eight. So yeah. they've
1: they've got a legit four by one team coming in, and I mean that's what we thought when you talk about Scott Frost and Oregon. Um, you know, you mentioned though. Where's the pass rusher? I mean, if they if they strike out on SUNY and Stephen Parker, then what do you do at that point?
3: Well, then then you you point you pour all your focus into getting one for 2020
1: or maybe a transfer but those are so hard to yeah, find yeah it's those so guys hard. are
3: those guys are hard to find um you know and, and that would be i think that would be ideal is to get you know if you were able to get a grad transfer that you know an outside linebacker grad transfer that could rush the passer um, but if you
1: surveyed about 10 power 5 coaches if i could find you an a, a grad transfer <laughs> that can rush a quarterback and get there on a four man rush i think it probably everyone would take the guy well
3: yeah absolutely so uh yeah those are kind of unicorns out there they, <laughs> <laughs> really exists. but uh but yeah if, if they don't get stephen parker which he's down to texas tech uh ku and nebraska visiting ku this this final weekend um, you know, I, I think that you pour all your focus into getting one or a couple for twenty twenty.
1: Ku's recruiting class is ranked like one fourteenth right now. It's it, I think on record maybe the lowest Power Five ranked class in like recruiting rankings history.
3: Yeah, it's it's terrible. But the connection there is so Stephen Parker is originally from Lubbock. He committed to Texas Tech and that the, Cl- the Kif- Cl- Cliff Cliff Kingsbury uh, coaching staff and the coach that was recruiting him at Texas Tech is now coaching for Les Miles at KU. So that's the connection. Um, you know, this coach has, has been recruiting him for a long, long time. So I think he kind of felt like he owed it to this coach to go visit Kansas. I don't think, you know, I know that there's some around Kansas that think that, that he's going to go there. Um, I still think that probably Texas Tech holds the upper hand because he's from Lubbock, he still has some family in Lubbock, Uh, but Nebraska is still very much in the mix here, Uh, and they've been pushing hard. Eric Chenander and Scott Frost were were there in home with him last Friday, Uh, and they're obviously going to make one last uh, in-home visit with him this week uh, before that official visit he's supposed to announce on Monday.
1: All right, when we come back, we are going to preview Nebraska's first junior day. That's coming up on Saturday as well. A star-studded list of visitors will be in Lincoln. We'll come back with that next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we wrap things up with some recruiting talk. Next week will be our signing day extravaganza as Nate Klaus and I will give some final thoughts on the recruiting class for Nebraska um, and kind of where things end up. But this weekend, all the focus really Nate is going to be focused on the class of 2020 and even 2021, Nebraska is going to host. And it's actually a 2022 guy coming as well, a junior day. And it's not an official weekend because these athletes aren't eligible in the class of 2020 for an official visit until April. Uh, But they are going to have a number of guys on campus, all of them have offers, Nate, am I right by saying that, or pretty much
3: all of them? Uh, not all of them. There's, there, I mean, there's a handful of guys that don't have offers, but there's going to be well over 20 kids that have offers that are that are making their way to Nebraska. And I, I think there's a chance that we see a couple of those guys that don't have offers, um, you know, land some. Because, you, I mean, you got guys coming from Florida, uh, California, the you know, without offers. I, you know, I think it's f- – safe to say that, that Nebraska has let them know just how uh, interested they are and that there's a, a likelihood that they could uh, gain an offer if they're going to you know, come halfway across the country for this junior day. And,
1: Nate, this was something a year ago. You go back to a year ago. They just obviously weren't quite ready to do an event like this right away in February because they had to fill out the rest of that class still. On the you know because of the short notice they had to kind of get things going and they didn't really do their first true recruiting event they had one junior day maybe during the spring for yeah. spring practice but then obviously the red white game but this is like really their first real true early big recruiting event they put together as a staff
3: yeah this is the first big one and you're right I mean they didn't even have time to to you know come back to Lincoln really <laughs> uh, and you know let alone. Put together a junior day uh, a year in ahead uh, because they were they were I mean it was a mad scramble putting together last year's class and in which they did extremely well but I think now that they've been in Lincoln for a year uh, they've been able to kind of lay down you know a, a little bit of a blueprint on how they want to attack these types of things. Um, and it starts with this weekend with with you're kind of reaching out to all your vip underclassmen guys that you've offered or guys that you're very close to offering uh, many of which you've already had on campus several times during the fall so you're getting those guys back um, you know on campus and um, you kind of bring those guys in first, roll out the red carpet for them. And it's nice because they're not going to be, you know, there's not going to be, uh, you know, they're not splitting time with a bunch of 2019 official visitors that are on campus. They can give all their attention to these uh, these kind of VIP underclassmen that are going to be in town.
1: Nate, when I look at this list, uh, I got a political reference for you. Um, when a new guy re- wins a political office, he always comes in and says, we're going to come in and we're going to lower taxes. Well, when a new coach comes in in Nebraska, they always feel like we're going to come in and we're going to recruit St. Louis. Yeah. We're gonna recruit St. Louis, and that's been kind of the, you know, new coach line for I don't know how many years in a row. By God, and we're gonna make St. Louis a priority. Well, you look at this list, and finally, it looks like St. Louis finally. kind of is
3: a priority. Well, yeah, I mean, we've been beating this drum for I feel like five years or more uh, that St. Louis is is just prime and ripe for the taking there, but no one has really done it yet. You know, we've had some coaches that kind of flirt around in the area, but for whatever reason. They've just not been able to get a foothold in St. Louis. They've had a couple visitors here and there, and just when it starts to to look like they're they're creating a presence and really all in on recruiting the area, then all of a sudden that disappears. But you look at this the list of attendees that we've already been able to confirm heading into Saturday, and it is heavy, heavy presence in St. Louis, and not just the 2020 class. You've got a couple of big time 2021 players, and even a 2022 running back, Arlen Harris. uh, who already has an offer from Nebraska? So a freshman in high school, um, you know, who's already been on campus once already. That's then. That's the key thing. A lot of these guys um, are either you know have been targeted for a while now, or uh, have uh, have already visited. So you're, you're uh, I think that. This this maybe could be a turning point in that whole St. Louis recruiting discussion that that we've been you know talking about for a long long time. It's really
1: amazing how many of the good St. Louis kids now all go to private schools too. You know when I, I was talking to Chris Brooks, really one of the top St. Louis guys Nebraska's gotten in recent history, and that was all the way back in '05. And he said really all the top kids now in St. Louis no longer go. To a lot of the inner city type schools, it's more a lot of the private schools, and and, and you know that, that's kind of the trend now. And you look at the list, a lot of these guys go to the the private school powerhouses down there.
3: Yeah, it's all the the SLUs, the the Lutheran, Trinity North, Catholic. The, yeah, Trinity Catholic, the um, Lutheran High, uh, you know, all these all these private programs, the CBCs, you know, the Christian Brothers. College. And they're they're
1: really good programs. Yeah. They do a great job developing kids. Obviously, they get them ready academically. I mean, I think there's a lot of positives probably to that as well. Yeah,
3: there is a lot of positives to that. They're they're well coached, and you're right. They're very, very, um, you know, f- the academic troubles are, are few and far. They're
1: surrounded through. in good classroom environments.
3: Exactly. They, they've got uh, – and they kind of have a, a program. These coaches that are at these schools, um, you know, they're – they're able to, to maybe maybe cherry pick a little bit and recruit a little bit and, and I think that kind of rubs some of the public schools the wrong way, uh, but they have got proven programs where they can bring a kid in and they can succeed academically and athletically and go on and get a scholarship and so, um, yeah, I think that's kind of the trend in St. Louis. Now, that's not to say that there aren't good players at a bunch of other schools, the the non-private schools in the area, but uh, but for, for sure, that maybe the, the upper echelon talent is coming from, from the private schools at the moment.
1: Yeah, well be interesting to see um if Nebraska can you know can finally get that foothold. I, I found this quote interesting um back in the summer Travis Fisher was talking to me in Miami at one of the satellite camps and he said we have to look at St. Louis kind of like how we looked at Miami. When I was at Central Florida, you know, we looked at you know Miami as the prime city from Orlando to recruit. For us now in Lincoln, St. Louis is the Miami for us as far as the guys. And I mean in terms of the four star kids available to Lincoln and it's still a long drive. It's six-and-a-half, seven-hour drive. But it's still the closest city with the most four stars.
3: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, and at least you've got a direct flight from Omaha to St. Louis. Three a day. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that makes a, that's kind of a game-changer there. Uh, but there's no question, as far as upper echelon, you know, four- five-star type of talent, St. Louis uh, metropolitan area is, is the spot to be. And it's only getting better. I mean, I, I feel like each year I say, well, this is – this year's crop of talent coming out of St. Louis is better than last year's, and last year's was really good. Well, it's that's kind of the same the same right now for the 2020 class. Um, Nine of
1: the top ten kids in Missouri right now are from St. Louis. Yeah, I mean it is, it and is one is from Kansas City.
3: Heavily slanted, uh, you know, in the St. Louis's favor, and uh, I mean, you just look at. Look at the the guys uh, the top two fifty guys that we've confirmed that will be in Lincoln on Saturday. You got one, two, three, four, four of the of six top two fifty players are coming uh, to Lincoln there and those twenty one
1: and twenty twos could be as well. Yeah,
3: that are from you know, uh, from Saint Louis. And then you're right, uh Ford, the class of twenty twenty one, uh, outside linebacker, Rush End, uh, and Gabriel Rubio. Both those guys have you know, Ohio State's offer, uh, you know, they, they've got all the they've got big time, big time offers already. And they're, you know, sophomores in high school. So they'll be uh, four star, five star type of guys as well.
1: Is it still Walters, Austin and Fisher all going down there? Do they kind of split that up with the three of those guys?
3: Yeah, right now, uh, Fisher is the guy that 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 seems to have made the most rounds. But uh, Walters and, and Austin are also uh, heavily involved. And then Kenny
1: Wilhite, you know, Nebraska's behind-the-scenes guy. He's, that's, th- that's his turf.
3: He's got the most pull in that area. Everybody knows Kenny Wilhite in St. Louis. He, he is very, very well-connected, um, you know, and, and all these – and what's what's interesting right now is is not, not just the coaches in St. Louis know Kenny, but a lot of the parents of the recruits <laughs> – know Kenny as well because they're from St. Louis they grew up with Kenny or or heard about Kenny uh, back in the day and so to have a guy from St. Louis that's that's involved with the program is that's and especially that's involved with recruiting uh, I think is a big deal and that's that's a big asset for Nebraska.
1: Well it's going to be a busy weekend here with a number of top juniors here in Lincoln. Huskeronline.com will have the coverage for you starting Early Saturday evening, all, all into Sunday, as Mike Mattia, Brian Munson, and Nate Klaus and the recruiting team will be very busy uh, bringing you the latest. Well, that wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Reminder Husker basketball on the road, Saturday, 1 15
0: at Illinois. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.